Hello, and welcome to our weekly message. Today's message, Pastor Myron continues our fall sermon series titled, Jesus is Enough. This week's message is titled, Jesus our Sanctifier, from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Good morning, Harvest family who have joined us in person, and guests, welcome. To those who have joined us online, welcome as well. Such a blessing to share in these moments with you. Two things just before we look into God's Word. First of all, I really want to thank our worship leaders, our musicians, our singers have stepped back into that beautiful and important ministry to lead our church family in the praises of our Lord Jesus. So we're deeply grateful for each of them and their ministry uh, to us last Sunday and this Sunday morning. Secondly, I was talking to Richard yesterday, and please join Grace and me in praying for Richard, Janice, Joel, Danica, Kim, Lyle and Ray and their family. Today is Pastor Luke's birthday, so very, very hard weekend for them. So I was talking to Richard and assuring him of our prayers, and he asked me to do this, and I said, I most surely will. So from Richard and Janice, they want to express to their church family their deep, deep gratitude for the many acts of loving kindness that you have demonstrated to them for all the meals they have received, for all the prayers on their behalf that have, uh, have upheld them. So from Richard and Janice, uh, from their hearts, much gratitude to all of you. Now would you do a little prayer with me and then let's study God's word. Father God, first of all, together we do pray for the McKelvey family and the Spence family and Kim. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that this day, hard day, um, that your mercy would be very supernaturally poured over their lives, surrounding them by your love and sustaining them by your grace. This we ask together. And as we now look into the word of God, thank you, Father, for your truth. It's just unchanging, and it speaks to our hearts. And that's what we would just pray, that by your spirit, you would come upon the word of God. Please come upon me. Fill my mind and my mouth with your words. And together, grant that our hearts would be open to receive the encouragement and the challenge reflected in the scriptures this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When my granddaughters, my beautiful granddaughters, were wee ones, they're nine and almost 11 now, but when they were little, they had a couple of great lines, really good lines that have become a part of our family vernacular. So, for example, Lanny, when she was two or three, and her parents would ask her to do something, some small act of obedience, commensurate with being two or three. You know, Lanny, get ready for bedtime, or Lanny, uh, please clean your toys up. And she would pause and look at them and say, mm, I can't want to. It's a good line. I can't want to. Jade. Jade would have uh, her dad maybe catch her doing something she should not be doing. And he would say, Jade, I mean, what's with that? And Jade's response would be, I do that. And dad would say, but Jade, that's not right. That's the wrong thing to do. And she would say, I do that. Those two lines, I can't want to and I do that, they become a part of our family language. Now, have you ever in some way, if you didn't exactly use those words, use similar words or thought them in this sense? You knew that there was something right and God-honoring for you to do, but in your heart and in your actions, it was, mm, I can't want to. 
Or you knew that there was something that you shouldn't be doing. It was God dishonoring. But in your heart and your actions, it was kind of, I do that. If you can identify with that in any way, then with me, friends, we're in good company. Because the Apostle Paul expressed exactly the struggle that was very real in his life in that regard in Romans chapter 7. So Paul, the apostle, would write these words. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. What I want, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Oh, what a miserable person I am. That passage of Scripture, the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, reflects a deeply discouraging and frustrating period in the life of the Apostle Paul. And friends, we would say this, the struggle is real. The struggle is absolutely real. And so the question becomes, for followers of Jesus by faith, how do we move past the ups and downs and the inconsistencies in our spiritual life and trend more in the direction of consistent spiritual growth and victory rather than those endless loops of doing what I don't want to do and missing the opportunity to do what I, to do what I know I should be doing. How do we move past that into consistent growth and victory? And the answer to that, friends, is Jesus, our sanctifier. Jesus is our sanctifier, and he is at work in us by his indwelling spirit, the spirit of the living God who is within every follower of Christ by faith. Now, last Sunday we talked about Jesus, our Savior. Today our focus is Jesus, our sanctifier. And in our alliance logo, Jesus, our sanctifier, is reflected by the laver or the cleansing basin, if you will, or that object that looks kind of like a goblet. It just reminds us that Jesus is our sanctifier. Now, what do we mean by that? Because sanctifier and sanctify, those are not words that are common in our everyday language. In the Bible, to be sanctified to God means to be set apart to God, to walk like Jesus, and to live for God's purposes by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what it means to live a sanctified life. To be set apart to God, to walk like Jesus, and to live for God's purpose in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the sanctified life, and that's the life that our Lord Jesus comes to us to empower and enable us to live. We're all works in progress. We will continue to be so until the moment in which we see Jesus face to face. But Jesus' plan and call for our lives is that we would be marked by his strength at work within us, by consistent growth and victory and experiencing more and more of him in our lives. So how do we embrace this life and the truth that Jesus is our sanctifier? I invite you now on your device or in your Bible to find John chapter 15. And we're going to study through the first eight verses of John chapter 15. Four truths in these verses about Jesus our sanctifier who enables us to live the sanctified life. Four truths from John chapter 15, 1 to 8. And here's the first. Let's talk about the person that's vital for our sanctification. If we're going to live a life set apart to God, to walk like Jesus and live after his purposes, 
There is a person who is vital to that process. Absolutely central to it. And the person, of course, is our Lord Jesus. He's our sanctifier. Look at verse 1. Jesus says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Focus on that phrase, I am the true vine. As Jesus engaged in this conversation with his disciples on that night, they were making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Our Lord Jesus was just hours away from that moment in which he would give his life for us on the cross as our Savior. And on that poignant evening, as they journeyed to the Garden of Gethsemane, I envisioned Jesus and his disciples walking past a vineyard, maybe through a vineyard, as they made their way to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus along the way then presumably stopped and using the familiar imagery, super familiar imagery to Jewish people in the first century of the vine, the branches, to teach an important truth to his disciples. Now, the vine was a significant, significant symbol in Jewish life in Jesus' day. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 5, would liken the nation of Israel to a vine. At the temple in Jerusalem, there was a massive sculpture of a vine with grapes on it the size of people. It was about 30 meters high. It was at the front of the Holy of Holies in the temple. So this is a very significant symbol in Jewish life. We would say for us as Canadians, our symbol is the maple leaf. That's an identifier for us. For Jewish people in Jesus' day, it was the vine and the branches. So as Jesus walked with his disciples and presumably journeyed through a vineyard where he began to teach them, Jesus was saying to his disciples, you remember and you know how the vine and its branches, that's an important symbol to the national life of our nation. You understand that? Here's what I want you to know. I am the true vine. I am the fulfillment of that national symbol. And by saying that, Jesus was saying, I am your source of life. Friends, Jesus is our source of life. And Jesus is enough. If we're going to live a life set apart to God, to walk increasingly like Jesus, and it's a journey. And if we're going to live a life where we're serving God impactfully and effectively, we have got to be tapped in as the branches to the vine who is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the source of life. Now, let's have an awkward moment in church because why not? Poke your belly button. If we wanted to be really awkward, poke your neighbor's belly button. No, don't do that. Every one of us has got a belly button, and you know what that is? That is a reminder of the fact that we received life from another. We received life via an umbilical cord which was attached to our mom. And our belly button should be for us an everyday reminder that we have life because of another. And how grateful we are to our moms. They gave us life. So you got a belly button. Maybe use it as a memory prompter in this way. A daily reminder that our life spiritually is in whom? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our sanctifier. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who gives us strength to live in the joy of his growth, to live in the joy of spiritual victory, to experience more of him. Our source in that regard 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the call for us then is to press into Jesus, to seek him, to daily begin by saying, Lord Jesus, as I start this day, I openly confess you're my source of life. You're indwelling me by your spirit. Now live your life in and through me. Apart from us, daily, regularly acknowledging, very intentionally, by faith, that Jesus is our source of life, what can happen is we'll step into our day under the resources and power that we ourselves bring to the table. And that's a prescription for frustration. Because we know this, it's a bit of a cheesy Christian cliche, but it's totally the truth. The Christian life isn't hard, it's impossible. We cannot live consistently for the Lord Jesus Christ in and of our own strength. We desperately need to be tapped as the branches into the source of life, which is the vine. So this is the first truth that we see in this passage of Scripture. Jesus reminded his disciples that night that he's their source, their source of spiritual health and vitality. So the person that is vital for our sanctification, for living a set-apart life to God. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. And daily to Jesus in faith, we confess this truth. This day, Lord Jesus, you're my source. You're my source of life and strength. It's in you that I am capable, empowered, enabled to live a life this day that's set apart to God. Here's the second truth in the verses. The second truth is this, friends. We see now in verses 2 and 3 the pruning that's necessary for our sanctification. Our Father in heaven is a loving and patient vine dresser, and he will be at work in my life and in yours. Right up until the time that we see Jesus face to face to prune us so that our lives increasingly reflect the beauty of the Lord Jesus in his character, and so that our lives increasingly are fruitful and productive for the kingdom of God and for the blessing of God in the lives of others. Look at verses 2 and 3. He, that's the vine dresser, God the Father, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You already are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Focus on that word prunes. In the original, it's the word kathairo. And we get catharsis and cathartic from it in our English language. The word literally means to clean. It speaks of cleaning such that vitality and life and health results. Do you see what Jesus was saying to his disciples that night? He was saying to them that he was their source of life. And also now that God the Father was fully committed in love to be at work in their lives to prune them to promote health and vitality and spiritual fruit that would last for all eternity. That's what God the Father was at work in the lives of Jesus' disciples then. It's a patient work that he is undertaking in each of our lives every day, including this day as well. Now, Jesus, by his Spirit, God the Father at work in our lives, would obviously be at work to prune sinful practices from our lives that will inhibit us from walking like Jesus 
and bearing much fruit to the glory of God and for the blessing of the lives of others. He would be at work to prune that. There will be seasons in our lives where God the Father will also prune from our lives things that aren't necessarily wrong in and of themselves to maximize our fruit bearing for the glory of God and his kingdom. And what would be some of the ways that the Father undertakes this patient, loving process of pruning, which can be uncomfortable and even painful for us at times? He would do it lots of different ways. I'm thinking of three this morning. God can use temptation to promote by his Spirit at work in our lives the sanctified life living set apart to God, walking more like Jesus, living for God's purposes. How? While God does not cause temptation in our lives, as James makes clear in James chapter 1, when temptation comes into our lives, God will work through that. And in that moment, if as followers of Jesus, we embrace the words of the proverb, and we run to our Lord, who is a strong tower. We turn to Jesus. I need help. The pressure's on. In that moment, the Spirit of God gives us strength to say no to the temptation and yes to the Lord Jesus. And every time that we do that, the Spirit of God is at work to form a little bit more of the character of Christ in our lives. God can also work through trespasses in our lives in this way. Friends, we are in a season where collectively we are walking in grief and in lament. And how it will be so important for us to show extra patience and grace and kindness one to another as we journey this season of grief together with all of us at different places in terms of processing our grief. Also know this, we're a hurting community of faith right now and hurt people hurt people. That's the way it works. So there may well have been or they may well will be an opportunity for us because someone has sinned against me, they've offended me, to embrace the spiritual practice of forgiveness which powerfully reflects the heart of Christ. When someone offends me, they hurt me in some way, and this is the beauty of forgiveness. I don't have to have someone ask me to forgive them to extend forgiveness toward them, when I choose in that moment, reflecting the heart of Jesus, to extend forgiveness to the offending a party and let the offense go by that selfless, grace-filled act, which is reflective of the heart of Christ, again, the Spirit of God, now, in His sanctifying work in our lives, uses that moment of obedience, of living out the heart of Jesus to conform more of Christ in us. Here would be a third way, and three of many ways that God would work to prune our lives. And it's right in the text. It's verse 3. Read it again with me. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. God the Father uses truth. The truth of his word to prune our lives, to remove from our lives things that are impeding our progress, stopping up our spiritual growth, or inhibiting the fruit that God knew as our lives can produce. So to promote spiritual health, vitality in our lives, God prunes us through the sanctifying power of his true and unchanging word. Now, 100 years ago, there was a New York physician by the name of Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane. And Dr. Kane became convinced that many surgeries 
that in that era, which were performed only under general anesthetic, they could be performed under a local anesthetic. And he was just totally convinced of this. And by using a local anesthetic, the patient would uh, recover more quickly and the risks necessarily associated with general anesthesia would be mitigated. So we went out to look for a patient. Someone who would let him do an operation on the patient under a, you know, local anesthetic. He wasn't getting many volunteers. But then one day he found one. He found a volunteer. On February the 15th, 1921, Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane performed an appendectomy on himself using local anesthetic. I mean, it's a common medical practice in our day. It was absolutely groundbreaking a century ago. And yes, he recovered more quickly. And it was a major step forward in medical health science. Also, I would say, rather bold. Friends, it's so important for us to regularly, daily, do some self-exploratory surgery on our own lives using the scalpel that is the unchanging truth of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. As we choose... To place ourselves under the Word of God. We're engaging Scripture. We're coming to God's Word, the Bible, and we're saying, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, talk to me, please. Through your Word, speak to my heart. I'm open, Lord Jesus, to hear what you have to say to me in a very personal way in these moments as I engage your truth. And as we do so, friends, the Spirit of God will bring encouragement into our lives and strength and hope and wisdom and discernment and a specific word for the moment. On other occasions, the Spirit of God will bring conviction as the Word of God points out attitudes and actions that don't reflect the right ways of the Lord Jesus. And in those moments, as we come under the conviction of the Word of God, then we confess, we receive Jesus' forgiveness, we're restored to full fellowship and intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ as a result, and God has just been beautifully and powerfully at work in our lives to prune us for spiritual health and vitality, for living the set-apart life to God, for increasingly experiencing Jesus in our lives, and for spiritual growth, and for being all that the Lord Jesus knows that we can be. Well, here's the third thing that we see about living the sanctified life, living the set-apart life to God, and it's this. I want you to see the principle that empowers our sanctification in verses 4 to 6. Verses 4 to 6, and just note mentally the number of times the word remain comes up in these verses. Verse 4. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withered. Such branches are packed up, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
Something immediately strikes me in those verses, and it's Jesus' statement in verse 6, verse 5 at the end. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he follows that up with an imagery in verse 6, where if, if I'm trying to do it on my own, if I'm trying to live for God on my own out of my resources and serve God, well, it's a fruitless venture. Because I actually can't do anything that matters for eternity in my own strength. Whatever I did, you may as well wrap it up and chuck it out. I mean, I can do my job. I can have a family. I suppose I could scramble Mount Rundle. Like there's some things I can do in life. But in terms of having an impact through my serve in people's lives, I mean, genuine, authentic, spiritual fruit that lasts for eternity, apart from Jesus at work in our lives, how much of that can we do? That would be nothing. But the flip side to that, and that's where we see the word remain over and over and over, as we remain in Jesus as we abide, as the King James Version puts it, in Jesus. Now we are vitally connected to the supernatural source of life who's our king from all eternity at work in us by his spirit and that makes all the difference in the world. So how do we remain in Jesus? How do we abide in Christ? What exactly would that look like? Friends, remaining in Jesus abiding in Christ, pressing into him, being vitally connected to our Savior, our sanctifier, it begins with this. It begins with a humble confession that reflects in all honesty exactly what Jesus told us. Lord Jesus, apart from you, I'm undone. Apart from you, I cannot do this. I desperately, desperately need, Lord Jesus, your presence, your strength, your grace, your mercy at work in my life. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand their abject spiritual poverty and how desperate they are for Jesus and his grace to be at work in their lives. So that would be the first part. Remaining in Christ is an acknowledgement by implication that I can't do it on my own, and Lord Jesus, I need you desperately. And then, it is a volitional decision on our part to yield ourselves unreservedly, full surrender to our Lord Jesus Christ, the King from all eternity. Jesus, I can't do it apart from you and all that I am. Romans 12 and chapter 2. Present your body a living sacrifice. I lay it on the altar before you, Lord Jesus, in unreserved yieldedness. Now, part of this unreserved yieldedness would also be reflected in us taking an introspective moment and asking the Spirit of God to search our lives and confessing to Jesus any known sin, any sin that the Spirit of God would reveal. That would be part of living in unreserved yieldedness to Christ. And then... And then, remember, every follower of Christ, no exceptions, every genuine follower of Christ is indwelled by the Spirit of Christ. Now, we say, Holy Spirit of the living God, you who are indwelling me, fill me, control me in every aspect of my being, and live the supernatural life of Christ through me. And I receive that by faith. 
That's the spirit-filled life. That's the sanctified life. That's God's provision for us in Jesus, our sanctifier. Us living in yieldedness to him, being filled with his spirit, so that the spirit of the living Christ supernaturally energizes us to walk like Jesus and to effectively, impactfully join Jesus on mission to be a blessing in the lives of others. In this regard, the sanctified life or the spirit-filled life, it's an event. Have you, friends, come to a point in your life, a place, where you have, without reservation, yielded yourself in your entirety to the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him by spirit to fill you and receiving that same filling by faith? If you have not, will you do so today? That's God's command upon our lives, Ephesians 5.18. Be filled, it's a command, with the Spirit. Chances are a follower of Jesus in their spiritual journey would have many of these events over the course of their life where in some way the Spirit of God calls us, challenges us, provokes us to deeper levels of surrender. An area in my life that I didn't even maybe necessarily realize that I was not yielding to God, but the Spirit will provoke us. So there are events, there are moments when the Spirit of God grabs our hearts and the challenge is to surrender. But the filling of the Spirit or the living of the sanctified life is also a process and it's a daily process. What did Jesus say? He said to us, take up your cross, how often? Daily. In other words, every day we got a choice to make. I'm going to step into this day and I'm going to be the boss of my life or I'm going to die to that natural disposition of my soul to arrogantly live and do it my way and I will choose instead in that moment to die to self and to yield to Jesus again saying, Lord Jesus, in this day that's before me, you're indwelling me by your spirit. Fill and control me. I receive that by faith. Empower me supernaturally to live a life, Jesus, that's reflected in this. I'm going to walk like you. I know I'm a work in progress, but you're going to help me to live in your right ways. Thank you for that. And today I'm going to cross paths with people. I'll have an opportunity to be your hands, feet, and voice to other believers, to speak a word of hope into their lives, or to those who do not yet know you, to take a step with them towards you. Spirit of the living God indwelling me, fill me, control me. I receive this by faith and live the life of Christ through me. There's one last thing that I want us to see in these verses, and it's this. It's in verses 7 and 8 now, and it's the product that results from our sanctification. There's an inevitable result when we're living in yieldedness to Jesus and in the fullness of his spirit, there is an Inevitable, can't miss result. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That last phrase tells us something. It tells us that for the follower of Jesus by faith, a disciple of Christ, the normal Christian life is that our lives would bear fruit. That's God's intent for us. That's the normal Christian life. And then Jesus notes a couple of things there. He says if we're walking in yieldedness to Jesus and in dependence upon his spirit, we will notice it in our prayer life. Our prayer life will be ramped up. We will pray with greater insight. We will pray with greater discernment. We will pray with greater wisdom and faith. And we will see Jesus 
do more than we could think or imagine as we are filled by the Spirit of God and embrace our prayer life. It'll be ramped up. That's the first thing Jesus says. And then he says there's going to be a lot of fruit. In what way? There'll be the fruit of character. Increasingly, our lives will reflect Jesus, his humility, his love and sacrificial heart for others. His desire to serve in these and in other ways will increasingly reflect the character of Christ. And that's a lifelong journey that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives to see happen. And you'll get it done. Is that little by little, we grow in the character of Christ. We're growing in walking like Jesus. When we're filled with the Spirit of God, that's an aspect of fruit. And then there's conduct. There's the fruit of conduct increasingly. We will just literally do that. We'll live like Jesus. We'll walk like he would walk. We'll do the things in our relationships with people. And as our regular days unfold, that would reflect the things that Jesus would do, given a similar circumstance for him. We're empowered to walk like Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And a part of walking like Jesus, again, it's God's joyful intention for our life, is that we'll join him on mission. That would be a part of the conduct that we would live out as we're filled with the spirit of living Christ who's indwelling us. We will join Jesus on mission to take steps intentionally with family and friends who do not yet know Jesus towards the Lord Jesus and his cross in the prayerful, indeed faith-filled optimism that they too one day in God's mercy will meet Jesus in a life-transforming way and then they will be disciples who now can make more disciples. All right. If you are, uh, I'm going to say less than 20 years of age, you might not remember this at all. And when I do things like that, it starts to kind of feel bad because I do remember them well. But here we go. There was a time when McDonald's ran a thing called Supersize. Remember that? It was like you don't have to settle for just the regular. You can get your meal supersized for even more of McDonald's wholesome goodness. More french fries, more soda, supersize. They ended that like 19 years ago. And because it's monkey see, monkey do, it wasn't long until Wendy's came up with their own version of the same thing. You don't have to settle for the regular. There's more. You can get more. And they called it biggie size. It escapes me how that's a good marketing slogan. <laughs> we'll give you more French fries and more soda for a biggie size. I don't know. It doesn't work for me. At any rate, they quit theirs back in 2006. Here's the thing. Jesus, this morning, through John chapter 15 is extending an invitation to every one of us. To someone who may be with us here this morning or perhaps joining online, and you don't know Jesus as your Savior or you're not sure, he is inviting you into a faith relationship with him this morning. If you will simply confess your sin and turn to Jesus in faith, believing he died and rose for you and yield your life to him, he will transform you for time and for eternity. So there's an invitation. Here's a second one. For every follower of Jesus by faith who's been changed by the grace of God, nothing we have done, it's everything that he has done. For every follower of Jesus by faith through the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus is inviting us to something more. Not the regular life. 
you know, not whatever our existence was. He's inviting us to something more. And that something more is in him, Jesus, who is our sanctifier, who empowers us to live a life that brings glory to God and blessing to people. And for that, I say, Lord Jesus, in my life and in the lives of my friends, we're ready. Do it. Something more. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just pray with such great, uh, deep gratitude together this morning as we reflect. Thank you for your humble entrance into this broken world. Thank you for the perfect life that you lived. Thank you for your perfect once-for-all sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Thank you that you are raised to life from the dead. Thank you that you rescue from sins for time and eternity every person who in humble, sincere faith place their trust in you as their only Savior and Lord. And then thank you, Lord Jesus, that when we are in you by faith, we've yielded our life to you in faith, you take up residence in our lives by your Spirit. And it's your Holy Spirit that gives us strength to live a set-apart life to God and to living as Jesus lived and to serving effectively and joining Jesus on mission. Thank you, Jesus, that for every one of your people, without exception, you are indwelling us by your Spirit. Now grant us grace, we would pray, to live the Spirit-filled life in your glorious provision, Lord Jesus, by yielding ourselves entirely to you and experiencing in you the more that you have for us this day and God willing in the days that are ahead this week. We ask these things humbly, in faith believing, and with deep gratitude for what you're doing and you will do. We pray, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our weekly message. Jesus is enough. Today we looked at the truth from God's word that Jesus is our sanctifier. As we allow Jesus to prune and empower us, we will see the results of living the sanctified life. As we abide in Christ, the Spirit within us lives the strong life of Jesus through us so that our prayer life is empowered. We have wisdom and faith to ask and to see Jesus do more than we could ever ask or imagine in answers to our prayers. And our lives will joyfully bear much fruit to God's glory, which is the normal Christian life. Let us experience strength and joy in the regular rhythms of life to take intentional steps towards Jesus with our family and friends who don't yet know him with a prayerful hope and the faithful confidence that they will meet and be transformed by Christ. That's EKG and fruit for eternity to the glory of God. If you're experiencing challenges or hardships and would like prayer for anything going on in your life, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can experience the love of God and begin a relationship with Jesus, please email help at hhachurch.com. That's help, H-E-L-P, at H for Harvest, H for Hills, A for Alliance, church, C-H-U-R-C-H dot com, We'd love to talk with you and pray with you to help you experience the love that is available to us in Christ Jesus. Now these words from Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it's too great to understand fully then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church, 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May God bless you as you go into the remainder of your day to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus.